So this week, I was fully hydrated with Natalie Campbell, social entrepreneur and CEO of Blue Water. And I knew I was going to love talking to Natalie, but I didn't realise how fired up I was going to be following this wonderful conversation. Certainly, the idea of being small or being made to feel small is something that is going to live with me, thanks to Natalie, forevermore. I don't think I'm ever going to allow myself to feel small or allow anyone else to feel small from now on. I'm going to keep a firm eye on that. Here's a woman that has done so much with her life. And yet, as you will see, I slightly allude to the fact that she just doesn't look old enough to have done much. But this wonderful, clever, smart, beautiful woman definitely taught me a thing or two and I'm sure she's going to do the same for you. Enjoy, preferably with a blue water sitting next to you, but nonetheless, you're going to buy it anyway after this podcast. So just enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. And I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, Natalie. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, You're the CEO of the brilliant and innovative Blue Water, a brand that firstly, Natalie, I had at lunchtime. And that's no lie. Secondly, we've stopped at Holly & Co's shop since the day we launched. So that's four years ago. So you were the only and still are the only water that we stock. So yes, I've been a long admirer of your brand that you now are looking after. So it's brilliant to talk to you. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And it it makes me so happy whenever I hear someone say that because you know the journey, you know the story, you know what we stand for. And that's the most important thing about everything that we do at Blue. So I'm excited. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to talk more about it. You know, you've had an interesting one because Hmm. I know that you joined the company March 2020, just as the pandemic hit. Talk about timing. I mean, it must have been, you know, joining a business, a new business within hospitality or services hospitality so much. Mm. What were those initial months like for, you know, hi, everyone, I'm the new CEO. Oh, my goodness me. (laughs) I haven't dealt with this one before. (laughs) So I have a very positive and happy disposition most of the time. And I think I thank the heavens that I do. Because looking back, when I think about the, you know, the the cards that, that I was dealt, I joined on the 2nd of March. We went into lockdown by the end of the month. I'd only met the team once in person at that point. Sales pretty much flatlined. 
immediately. Oh my God. And so I, you know, I was walking into a, a six million turnover business, you know, a million pounds to water raid, very clear operating model, very clear purpose. And we immediately went into crisis mode with a team that I didn't know. So I didn't know how they'd respond in crisis. I didn't know how I was mm -hmm. going to respond in crisis. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing mm -hmm. about the business other than what I had read. I immediately fell back to my toolkit of look after everyone, yep. reassure everyone that it will be okay, we will survive. And at the end of the day, we are not making vaccines, we are not brain surgeons, we're not saving lives. And the reality is, is if it's just too much, take a step back. And then we coined this phrase called the gift of time. Mm. And the thing that I heard on that very first day was, we're so busy, we can't do anything new. And so I said, well, now we have the gift of time. Let's spend the next few months getting to know each other and asking what if. And that really brought us together. And I, you know, I think if I was a different sort of personality, I would have either fell into the crisis and the need to save everyone or buy into the drama. And I didn't. I was just like, look, let me open a bottle of red. <laughs> Let's go through this logically. <laughs> I bet that was so nice for the team as well, because I mean, I feel like it's at times like these that people rely on their leader. That is, mm. this is a, essentially is the role of the leader to do that. And I know that being given this time, mm. even as leaders, has been just phenomenal to have a moment to even think who we are and how we're going to respond to this. Tell me about what you then did. Did you literally give people time to think, time to breathe, time to innovate? Tell me about what your sort of first ports of call were. The immediate response was, okay, it's crisis management. I set up the Baloo Cobra team, which was a daily review of our finances you know, all of our debtors, who we owed money to. And we started to put payment plans in place, both mm -hmm. outward to our suppliers, but also for our customers. And we created principles. I'm a frameworks girl. I draw things in my mind, create patterns, create models, and then get people to respond. So you know, the framework was be empathetic. We are not debt collectors treat everyone with kindness and compassion and remember we will get through this and so the team mm. I didn't need to coach them in terms of their jobs they all know what they're, they're here to do and so we got the finances under control and when I say under control I don't mean that we were making any money yeah but ultimately we knew where every single penny was and if we didn't need to spend it we stopped and we then looked to all of our obligations and once we'd got the money bit under control, yes. we could start to breathe. Yes, And that's when I put another framework in place, which was then looking forward to get people hopeful and optimistic. So I put in a temporary four Ps framework that has become a long-term framework of purpose, people, product, and profit. Baloo was very focused on profit and its mission was to give WaterAid a million pounds. Now that is absolutely fine and noble. And it's why we you know, have been as successful as, as we have, but I felt going into this new world, looking at the next 10 years, we needed to bring our purpose back to sort of a new blue and really embrace our environmental credentials, really embrace, for me, I just, I think a sensibility that's broader than how much money we give away, because what happens if we're not profitable for mm. the next two years, right? That doesn't mean we don't still have a, a reason for being. And so the team started to focus on that four-piece framework and I literally said, right, we're going to do some what ifs. What if, what if we did 
a totally new product range? What if we looked at new categories? What if we stopped trading? What if we said, right, we've had a good innings and stop? And so we had every level of of scenario from don't exist to go big, go heavy, take over the world. And then we we sort of landed somewhere in, in the middle. I read that you created a shared leadership model. So, you know, you as a CEO, you set the vision, but also you sort of gave it to others to how you would get there. Tell me more about that. Again, that was key. So walking in to a business where you know nothing in crisis mode, it's the fastest way to realise that leadership, and I've always known this, but, you know, this is a sort of a real slap Mm -hmm. in the face. If you don't share responsibility, accountability, decision-making with people that have been hired to do the thing that they do exceptionally well, then A, as a leader, I would have broken throughout this process. B, we wouldn't have been able to move as fast as we did. We wouldn't have had the same agility and we wouldn't have had I guess, a real opportunity to look at ourselves in a different way. And so I created a new executive team. And then on top of that, I, in some people's minds, demoted myself. But in my mind, a believer in shine theory, asked my COO at the time, Charlotte Harrington, to become my co-CEO. And because we had got to a point where we were thinking about the next 10 years and we both had a shared vision of really making Baloo global, I was like, okay, well, you do global, I'll do UK recovery. I'll do HR, you do finance. Mm -hmm. I'll do the bottles drink side, you do filtration. So there was a very clear space and pathway for both of us to thrive as a CEO and also come together on the purpose bit. And that happened quite quickly, actually. By September, we had it all nailed, all signed off by the board. But Charlotte and I decided in probably May, when we didn't really know each other, we'd only seen each other in, in, in 2D, but we said, let's just test it out in terms of how we interact with the team. We got the board sign off over the summer and we told the team early September, the second in-person meeting is to during that small window when we were free for a little while. <laughs> yes, I know. I got married in that small window, actually. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just quickly ran out into a field, got married and came back. <laughs> I just absolutely love that. I've got something at Holly & Co that we just introduced called the M&M meeting. I actually am wanting to get a pack of M&Ms for each member of the team. I still haven't quite managed to do it, but it's meeting of minds and it's we take a business issue that we're coming up with they have a month they pull a deck together you know and I will look at it before the meeting ask some of the team to read out their parts of it put it all together share it with the whole team and we will pick ideas and every single time we've picked the prominent ideas of our campaign or through this process and isn't it just amazing how some companies just don't do this you mentioned that when you're challenged in business, that you sort of understand its strengths and weaknesses. And again, talking to the small business community here, it's so better to be pre-warned, isn't it? And actually look at what your weaknesses are and actually look at what your strengths are. And I, I think we we tend to maybe not do this. And so then when we have a sort of unprecedented challenge come up, we don't quite know where our low, you know, our Achilles heel is. What is the bit that's going to just floor me? You went into crisis mode instantly. You might not have known it's Achilles heel. What would you say to businesses listening that you've learned about that? So my approach is before you even try and dig into the detail of any one thing, step back and create a model for what you're actually looking at. Mm. And so in the moment of crisis, we knew the world was imploding. Mm -hmm. What did I need to understand about the business to be able to make 
any decision. Didn't matter what, how, when, but any decision. Mm -hmm. A, money in, money out. Really Mm -hmm. simple, money in, money out. Yep. Product in, product out. Yep. People in, people out. Yep. And and for me, a lot is centered around people. And then the cultural heartbeat. So how are decisions really made? Who are the real leaders Mm -hmm. in a business? Everyone thinks it's the CEO, but we all know that, you know, there are personalities (laughs) and it changes moment to moment. Yes. One person, and especially in a small team, can create such a mood of either the resistance or leaning in. Really, you need to understand those things. So before I even thought about the detail of any decision or anything we did, I just understood the rhythm of those things. And that framework will change depending on the time, depending on the crisis, depending on the business. I don't think the money bit will. I think money in, money out is always key in, a, in any business. Yes. For me, I wrap it up in risk appetite. What's my risk appetite here? How far am I willing to go? How far am I willing to push? How hard am I willing to work? How innovative am I willing to be? Mm-hmm. And then I share that. And I make sure that everyone else understands the hows and the whys of, of that. And for me, that's the bit as a leader that I have to role model. Mm. So if I say I am willing to hear every and all ideas and back you, I need to live that through. Mm. So I need to let people have a voice. I need to let them take time to explore big ideas. And I need to not say but or no. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a yes and and a yes and and a yes and until we get to, like you said, that team meeting where we then start to pull the ideas that we think have legs. I wanted to talk a little bit about your story because you've had a phenomenal career because I can't believe how much you've actually done because you started your first business when you were just 19. Mm -hmm. And at 21, you opened a retail franchise Tell me about this, because it seems like you were very, very focused and you had great drive. It feels like you had a fire in your belly. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I wanted to be a CEO at 15. So I need to put that out there early on. How did you even know what a CEO was at 15? Because I was in love with 90s hip hop. So it all starts with Puff Daddy. Right. And when we get into the letter later, that there's an ode to Puff Daddy. Right. And so Puff Daddy in all of the 90s hip-hop you know movement they were all CEOs right Puff Daddy had Bad Boy Jermaine Dupree had So So Deaf and I was like I don't know what the CEO thing is but it's the person who's in control (laughs) and I like this whole control power situation going on here that person's having a lot of fun I want to be that the minute that I said that to myself that became my why for for and for a long time being a CEO was my why you know the purpose the the helping people, the give back, the doing things that I love, all of the heart stuff comes a lot later for me once I got to know myself and who I am. Mm -hmm. But the drive to be a CEO and doing what it takes to be a CEO from the age of 15, yes, was there. And what was it about that though? Because I come from a founder point of view. Mm. Obviously, it might be the same point, but you just come into it from a different point of view. Like, is it that you are in control of building and the destiny of an entity? Was it born from a creative side or from more of a, a system side? No, you know, bringing it back, I'm a girl done good from Northwest London. Mm. I'm a young black female growing up. I grew up with my grandparents who, are, who were immigrants from Jamaica. And I looked around at the world and I said, I can either be someone that lets life happen to me. Mm-hmm. And when I looked around, you know, you look at the news. Yeah. That, you know, life just doesn't look 
particularly fun. Yeah. And, the, you know, this is ni- nine, the, the early 90s. Yeah. Life doesn't look fun. Or I can look for a life that does look fun. Mm-hmm. And this CEO life looks like a lot of fun. Right. I was raised by my grandparents. My parents had me young. I come from a family of entrepreneurs as well and, and high achievers in that you be the best version of yourself that you yes. possibly can. And so all, I think all this a happy storm of all of these things internalizing around pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Life's hard. What are you going to do about it? Yep. That colliding with the visual mm-hmm. of the CEO, I started to form a, a thing in my mind, which now I know is agency. I have a ridiculously high sense of, of agency and an ability to control what happens to me in my life. Mm-hmm. And so to bring it back to the co-CEO point, one of the reasons that I could confidently ask Charlotte to be my co-CEO is because I know who I am. Yeah. I know what I bring to the table. Yeah. I don't see me giving her an abundance of something as me losing anything. Because yes. that agency is just, I've been cultivating this since 15. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So you opened your own franchise at just 21. Mm. You must have had the real understanding of putting a customer first yes. at the heart. I've read that that is what you did. And at 21, I don't know if I understood that. I mean, at 21, I was in advertising mm. and was very much potentially if I look back, thinking that the customer comes first or whoever shouted at me the loudest. (laughs) Was this a conscious decision? Did you realise even then that running a successful business was how you were going to feel anchored? And and what was this first job? Because I think I bought my best trousers ever there. Morgan. So for for anyone, cast your mind back, the heart logo. Oh my goodness, I loved that shop. You know, because you went to Morgan for going out. There was no big oversized jumpers going on there. No big oversized jumpers. I remember there was a pair of jeans with a glitter seahorse on and then a slit down the front and like diamantes going down the front. You know, that's what you went to to for Morgan. And they were a bestseller. 140 quid sold out of them as soon, you know, the day they came in. Or at the other end, it was the the logo bags and the repeat patterns, yes. that sort of thing. Yes, yes, it was. So you were 21 then? Yeah, well, so I am a Morgan girl. So I started working for Morgan at the age of 16. And you know, for anyone listening that's saying, but you know, how do you do all of these things? I just copied people. And so I had an amazing boss called Marcia Morgan For me, she's the epitome of what a retail manager should be. Mm -hmm. She said, customer service starts with how we show up. I still model so much of of what Mm. she she told me. So it starts with the visual, but then it moves to the smile that you share, Mm -hmm. the conversation that you have, how much you understand about what the customer needs and what you then give them. And then right through to the moment that they leave the store, you should give them an end-to-end best-in-class experience. And so... I now cannot shop anywhere that's not merchandised. Yeah. Like, do not put me in certain stores that just, <laughs> I'm, it, it gives me anxiety. That was drilled into you. It was. It really, really, really was. And so at 21, I knew the, the Morgan playbook inside out. I went to Lancaster University so I could start a business. I didn't go to university to actually study. I mean, I just scraped through on a tutu. I went to work. I was a bouncer. I worked in nightclubs. I worked in wine bars. And then Morgan happened. And I was in a small town where I could have a business manager. I 
pitched up with a business plan that I was doing as also as my dissertation. I like to sweat the asset here. Oh, yes. <laughs> I managed to get all of this past my lecturer. So I was like, right, I'm going to do my business plan as dissertation. I'm going to hand that in. The bank manager gave me a hundred grand. Wow. But he gave that to me on the proviso that Morgan would give me a license. Right. Okay. And Morgan would give me a license on the proviso that I'd get a lease for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so I told everyone, so I, this is my other tip, get your yeses. My three yeses were 100K, 10-year lease, license. So I told everyone that everyone had said yes. Right. It was the days of pre-email. So no one emailed anyone to find <laughs> out. Yeah, it was a letter. Um, and so I you know, made it all happen. God, that is just absolutely brilliant. I can see you now, actually. I can just see that energy. They weren't going to say no to you. Like you'd already said their yeah. yeses in their mind and they just needed to speak it. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey. Covering a whole range of topics, including how to future-proof the high street. And here I am talking to a futurist. Yes, that really is his job title. Jaroslav Dokupil, about what part technology is likely to play in the future of retail. Pretty by Nature Studio, with technology, perhaps the value of handmade will increase. When you talk to your bigger clients, do you feel that that is almost a way that you're advising them? You spoke about well-being, for instance, as part of the management structure. No one would have thought that 10 years ago. Do you think that yeah. the value of handmade, the value of creativity as a thought bubble will be more highly regarded as technology grows? Yeah, I think definitely the value of original and unique I think it's going to be special because the way that AI is constructed is that it can build on patterns. It can also learn itself. It can do actually a lot of things by now. It can compose music, it can make movies, it can make scripts, it can do all of these things. But I think there is something about the human originality and creativity that I think it's going to be harder to replace for quite some time. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a tech in a box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co, where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Your entrepreneurial journey started at such a young age, and I can imagine that this would have made you look at things differently right from the outset, because in 2008, you joined the board of Unlimited, a foundation that supports social entrepreneurs with bold ideas to tackle basically social challenges. So it seems as though it was almost running through your veins, this sort of ability to be able to use your experience um, you'd had and then encouraging others to look at challenging opportunities, all these sorts of things. And you're still doing this today. So tell me about that moment in time, because was that your first experience of it? No. So I'd actually been on the board of the British Youth Council before that, and I was vice chair campaigns and communications. Um, I think I joined that board at 23. Gosh. But I, I'm going to roll back and 
I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been thinking about it because I was writing the letter. The need to create a world for other people to thrive started to become my why when I realized that having a high sense of agency meant that people said yes to me. Mm. And I realized that so many people that look like me here know all of their lives. Mm. Again, it's sort of a melting pot of realizing that so many people with so much talent here know. And I was hearing a yes. And every yes I got, I was like, well, what did I do to get that yes that someone else doesn't have? Mm. And then I realized that if I was in a position of leadership and power in another organization, I could create structures and systems that enabled it to happen for other people. Wow. And that's how I started to gravitate towards being on boards. And so the sort of the CEO founder entrepreneurship journey was very separate. My Mm. public service hat and all of the things that I do in that space Mm -hmm. is always about making sure that if there's an organization making decisions about people that look like me, and and, and there are so many things about me that you even don't see, but Mm. just anyone that Mm. has a similar experience, that I have done something to make sure Mm -hmm. that it's easier for them to get a yes. God, that is a beautiful way of looking at this. Have you, has that come up to you recently? Yeah, because people ask and I was like, oh, well, I just... I, I knew I knew it was connected. Yeah, I know I get asked things. So when I go, oh my God, I, I've never actually spent a moment thinking about it. But yes, that's such an amazing point you've made. God, that's going to have me thinking tonight. But a few le- years later, you co-founded a brilliant social innovative consultancy. I love the name, by the way, called A Very Good Company. I mean, genius right there and then. The company had this strong mission to create a world where people feel good, do good and live better. As far as I can see from researching this, it was before its time. But you were working with huge companies, Virgin Media, Channel 4, M&S, and um, you were challenging them to put people in the environment first. Tell me about this. And what you see today must really warm your heart, but does it almost make you feel, oh my goodness, I wish I had that company right now? Yes and yes. It's such a good question. So taking the last part first, one of the reasons I feel privileged to be at Baloo is because I just get to do it. Yeah. As opposed to being a consultant telling a business what they should do. Yes. And it has come full circle. And I use the feel good, do good, live better framework. Again, everything's a framework for me. But I started a very good company and you're right. I would tell people the name of the company and they didn't get it. They were like, why would you, what? Mm. But what do you do? And I'd have to explain it. And then I'd, social innovation. What's social innovation? Why are you trying Mm. to help companies think about the planet? The planet's fine. Why would we put people first within this? No, it starts with the bottom line. And so I was privileged to have an amazing co-founder and then another co-founder that joined later to set up the Singapore office. And we just knew we were right. And we found clients that understood our way of working and they stayed with us for five years. And we cultivated amazing relationships and amazing global campaigns that I truly believe have made a difference to the lives predominantly of women and girls. And yet there must be a connection, right? It wasn't by design to help women and girls predominantly, but but it has. And it's one of the things I am most proud of in life. But equally, I decided to step away from a very good company because I saw the big consultancies, the PWCs, the Essentials, all stepping into this space, setting up mini practices. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not competitive, but I don't feel I'm not someone that will run a brick wall when I can see that 
the sat, you know, the times are changing and we couldn't compete with these big agencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if they're going to do it, fine. There's another way for me to live that purpose. What year was that? 2011 we started. And that doesn't feel like a long time ago, does it? And yet it feels like everything has changed. Mm. But your entire career, it feels like you've been driven with this desire to make change, to smash those glass ceilings, break down those barriers. As a black female entrepreneur, I can imagine that it hasn't been an easy journey for you personally. So tell me how you've navigated challenging times every step of the way. Now, I know you had the yeses, though. I know you feel fortunate about getting those yeses, but it must have still, you must have been still looking at it as a challenge nonetheless. So I'll be really honest with you again. This has come with hindsight. Up until like the age of 30, then it also because it wasn't the done thing, I didn't acknowledge being a black woman. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think when I didn't get something that I didn't get it because I'm a black woman. Mm -hmm. I made the assumption that I didn't get it because I didn't explain clearly enough exactly what I wanted. Right. And so I made it my job to go back again mm -hmm. and again, and I don't mind wearing someone down. So I'll ask you the same question 10 times until I get the answer that I want. Mm -hmm. And I realised actually when I got into my 30s and I wrote an article about it and it's also when I um, started Badass Women's Hour that actually there's so much swirling. And I wrote an, uh, an article saying I'm now going to talk about being a black woman, partly because it's okay. Mm -hmm. you know, people don't wince or fall into a, mm -hmm. a space of being defensive. What I equally say is being agnostic to what might have held me back equally meant that I didn't see it and it didn't hold me back. I'm really eager to see what happens as we come out of the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, every white man feels the need to apologise for himself. And I, I don't think, so that's an unintended consequence that I don't think is going to be a useful mm -hmm. consequence mm -hmm. because I've had many and many and many white male mentor, sponsor, door opener, and I don't want them to apologise for themselves because they opened those doors because they just saw that I was doing something that added a ton of value. I'm keen to see where we, we get to because there was, I got as far as I did because I didn't look at all of the reasons why I couldn't get there. That's fascinating. I, when you were just speaking about that, I went back to a moment in my career where I don't think I recognised that I was a woman. Mm. I just saw myself as the person doing what I was going to do, yeah. very driven. I get it. But never did it even really occur to me that things would be happening because I was a woman. And really only in my 30s did I start to cotton onto a few things, but I was okay. I'd already got through a lot of doors. I just saw it as, oh, we bombed that presentation or someone needs to introduce me to the right person. I didn't see it at all. And we got there. And actually that person that got there um, is my biggest advocate, always has been, um, and has seen me on my journey. So I think what you're saying, there's something about that, about, well, it's a difficult one. It's one that could take us two hours on this podcast, isn't it? But, you know, it's a difficult one. Do you not think it's it's aligned to also being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. If you have the entrepreneur's mindset before you realise all of the barriers, you do almost just, you see any setback as, well, I just need to go around it or under it or over it, as opposed to having yeah. a shadow of doubt being cast for the reason why. There's no time to think about why that didn't happen. The only time you have is to think about how you're going to get the thing that you want 
to happen, happen. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's when you were talking about the weather, you know, sometimes at not in the high street and, and not of late, but at times where we had big targets and people would talk about the mm. weather. You know, that's how why we didn't hit the sales targets, you know, at that weekend because it was sunny, right? And I'd be like, are you literally joking me? Because it was sunny. But the thing is, is that that was the excuse. Yes. And I said, well, you've already given yourself the reason why we didn't do it. And I think there's probably a thousand other reasons that we could have done something that would have mitigated the fact that a few beams came out of the sun, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. sky. What do you think about this thing, the imposter syndrome? You must have been asked to be on as many panels as I have. I speak about it a lot, but I'm trying to shift talking about it as a diagnosis and a label Mm. and shifting it to, well, what if you told it to piss off? You know, like, what if you didn't have it? I didn't have it because I never felt like an imposter. I put myself in places where I knew I was supposed to be. Again, it's the entrepreneur thing. It's the high sense of agency. I think there's an element of being Jamaican. You know, if you look at Bolt or, or others, that you yes. just feel that we belong <laughs> everywhere we go. And so that I don't sit around tables and think, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to be here or, or make myself feel small. I sit at the table being like, okay, yes. what am I going to bring to this meeting then? And I used to say to all of my team, never join a meeting and not contribute mm. because people think you're the note taker and you are not there to be the note taker, you're there to contribute. And I think as soon as you embody that, People don't look at you. Some people say you go to an event and for black women, you go to an event and people think you're the server. No one has ever thought that I was the server because I don't walk in the room Mm. and allow anyone to think I'm the server because I'm in the room to network, Mm -hmm. to to whatever Mm -hmm. it is that I'm I'm there to do. I understand and I can empathise when people talk about it. The minute you internalise it, it becomes real. Yes. And it's not real. If you're there, you're there for a reason. Embrace the reason that you're there and nothing else. What do you think is going to happen coming out of this phase? I don't know, because A, I'm not down with the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm old. I'm going back to the point where I called you beautiful, because you are. But people obviously can't see what I'm seeing here. So, But that's what I'm saying, you're old. This is what I'm getting at, listeners, because <laughs> she's not looking as old as I am right now. Uh, so yes, you're not down with the kids, but you look like you could if you wanted to be. I'm an older millennial. Mm. And the younger millennials, I think there's a different sensibility. Gen Z have a different sensibility. For me and a lot of my friends, I'm 37, so for my friends, 37 to 40, we couldn't talk about race. And so the way we view things is just very different. The way that we run at walls or barriers or whatever it is, is very different. Whereas when I think about my brothers, I've got six brothers and a sister, my sister's 13. The way she sees things is very different. And so I'm trying to listen and learn and understand sort of a younger generation's worldview to understand how I can contribute and help because I know that my worldview might not be useful to them. My kind of, well, just get on with it, go around that person or who cares. That might not be useful to them. And I have lots of conversations with one of my brothers who is very successful for a mere 25 year old. He's a teacher, a director of learning. And he calls me and says, you know, this thing happened. I'm like, why are you crying over that? I mean, get over it. And he said, that's not helpful, Natalie. I don't want you to tell me to get over it. I want you to listen to my frustration and my emotion and my pain and let me have it. And I said, you can do that. But if I fundamentally believe you are wrong because you are over-processing an emotion that is not about you, I will tell you. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm learning, shall we say. Gosh, these are fascinating family conversations. I gave all of my brothers business books at 13. <laughs> I'm that sister. That's brilliant. So tell me, um, when you actually look at your world, and we, we spoke about when you came into Blue and you looked at money in, money out, right? And this is, and I was so glad to hear that's one of the first things that you said, because you've spoken very openly, actually, that as individuals and as women, that we need to talk about money more. Mm. And I just couldn't agree with you uh, more about this subject. And I'm slightly not banging my head at all because it's, I am a woman and I've had that experience. But, you know, unequal pay was made illegal 50 years ago, but it's something that we're still seeing in society. How do we start to have these difficult conversations and see the value in ourselves? I'm asking you as the woman who goes, well, you just go around it, you go over it, you go under it, but you don't accept no for an answer. So the first thing is you need to know. I've always asked my friends about money. When we were working in Morgan, what's your Sunday rate versus my Sunday rate? Because we knew everyone was paid differently. And so you needed to work out how much harder you needed to work to up your hourly rate. Yes. And then when I got to university and all of my friends, you know, grad schemes were out and you were looking at starting salaries. We were always talking about, well, if you, know, if you go to L'Oreal, you'll be on this. And if if you don't do the milk round, you know, you're earning potential. So we were always talking about it. And we always, as friends, and I still have the same friends from uni, every step of the way, every promotion, how much are you going in for? What are you asking for? What additional benefit? Mm-hmm. Always. And we've always been mm-hmm. very open. Mm-hmm. And as we've got older and we've made more money, those friends have got more cagey. And I will just keep asking, how much did you get? 10 times until they tell you. Literally, I will, I will wear them down. <laughs> you know, a very specific story. When I was working for Enterprise UK, whilst I was going through the process of, of, of Morgan and, and that going into administration as a sort of a UK brand. I was working for the government's enterprise promotion body, Enterprise UK, which set up Global Entrepreneurship Week. And my first boss there, Elizabeth Crowther Hunt, love her to bits. I knew that when I was recruited, my job was recruited at £21,000 as a grad salary. Mm -hmm. And in an equivalent role was recruited at £28,000. I started to take on more of that role and responsibility. A man had had that position and he left and then I took on his portfolio and had a team under me and so I said to Elizabeth this role was advertised at 28 and I'm on in fact no while he was still there I said I'm on 21 he's on 28 I deliver the same value as him and she was like you're quite right and Mm -hmm. she came back literally at the end of the day with a letter matching my salary to his Mm. and then when he left without me even asking she increased my salary to 34,000 because I was taking on his portfolio. After that point, it was never a spoken thing between us. She just, she's like, well, you're doing something extra. Right. And that's when I realized I got the yes. If you do not talk about money, Mm -hmm. then no flinching, no guessing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. being very clear. I don't flinch. Everyone knows exactly what I want, why I want it and the value that I bring. And it's the same thing that I now give to my team. I am very clear. I pay for value, not for time. I do not care for anyone that wants to be present. I am purely paying you based on the value I believe you're going to bring to this company and to this business. And if you do that in two days or four days or whatever it is, I don't care because I'm paying for value. Mm. And it's very transparent. We did a big hire, a big hire, I say, five roles at Baloo. 
and we put all of the salaries very clearly, no circa, this is the fixed salary for all of the roles on paper. So everyone knows, my salary was advertised, it's on paper, I earn £100,000. I don't mind telling people this, it's important to know. Mm -hmm. Until we get that level of confidence as women talking about money and asking for what we're worth based on the value we bring, not time spent or years of service or whatever it is, then we'll always earn less. This is powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Not that I've asked anyone's salary, to be fair, but you're the first person in 110 interviews that has ever spoken so honestly and openly about money. And that is the point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because now someone is listening to this right now and they're saying, oh gosh, hang on a second. You know, I'm either underpaid or I'm judging myself because you've said some numbers. And I think that this is one of the things people don't say their numbers. Mm -hmm. So is that what you, so does everyone know each other's salary? Yeah, well, it was advertised. So all the roles that were advertised. So it's very clear what everyone's salary is. And because we created a new exec team structure, all of the directors were elevated to the role that we advertise. So it's very clear that they earn 75K. it's, It's clear doesn't take much homework. What other things can we do to empower women when it comes to money? It's knowing your value or what you think your value is and then timesing it by three at least. (laughs) Because we always go in for less. I've had clients, women on the other side say, nah, I had a man pitch for this work and he charged 10 times what you were charging. So I'm just going to leave that with you. And I know that you're pitching back to me, but I think it's only fair that I let you know. Yeah. So we have to be honest with one another Mm -hmm. in order for things to change. It always comes back to insight, insight, intel, evidence, data. If you don't have any facts to back up what you're doing, Mm -hmm. then you're really shooting in the wind. Obviously, the communication part is key. And also trusting. I I have realised I'm slightly over-trusting. It's sort of the entrepreneur in me that in sharing this data, it's not going to be used maliciously. Yes. So... If we're open with what everyone earns, I don't expect anyone in the team to turn around and say anything negative or malicious. Mm -hmm. Sure, if you want to pay rise, let's talk about it. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. But never use it maliciously. Do you think that's a trait of an entrepreneur, to be trusting? I think we have to trust people. Because if you don't trust people, then how do you move forward? Yeah. I just assume that everyone is a good person. I assume everyone, if they show me that, you know. If someone shows up as not a good person, I trust that that's who they are too. I seriously need someone to pinch me every time I say this, but I've actually written a book. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is packed with lessons and advice from my 20 years of experience of starting and growing businesses distilled into one colourful book. Making a living doing exactly what you love by turning your passion into profit really is the secret to happiness. I want to help everyone find their diamond and their purpose for being and turn that into a business. This book is here to help. I've poured my heart and soul into writing it, truly refining my most important life and business lessons to empower you to live your very best life, your good life, because happiness is the new rich. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out on the 6th of May. Head to holly.co slash book to pre-order your copy now. Coming 
coming nearly to the end. I just want to come back to Blue Water, though, is because I wanted to talk about basically the incredible work. You donate 100% of all your net profits to Water Aid. You've transformed lives worldwide by clean water. I just went on to your website and you have that ticker thing that ticks up how many lives that you've changed. And one of the things that Blue Water does so brilliantly is show the world that a small business can sell an essential item ethically. So I can imagine that this is what drew you to taking the job. Absolutely. You know, I've worked in charities. I've run my own businesses. I've, from the outside, engaged either from a non-exec or consulting role, engaged with big business. And Baloo, for me, is my absolute happy place because I'm a retail girl at heart, remember? Yeah. So I'm in a commercial space where I'm getting to sell something, but something that people need, something that's a life essential that makes other people's lives better. What I didn't say is the culmination of all of the work that we did over the the spring and summer is that we have a new purpose and our new purpose is to change the way the world sees water. And an exclusive for you, we are moving beyond water into tonics and mixers. So they go live on the 22nd of April. Amazing. We've got a gorgeous ginger ale, gorgeous ginger beer, classic tonic, a gorgeous lemonade. And we're taking the Baloo brand, which most people know as a blue brand is in the color blue into color so it's colorful it's fun yeah and it's still aligned to water aid so all net profit going to water aid but it's launching in green glass and the reason that we're doing that is because that's the highest level of recycled content that we could get into a glass bottle to make it green Mm. and so we're really living our environmental credentials in doing it too This is unbelievable. How exciting. And has this all happened in lockdown? Yeah. And we also launched in Hong Kong in lockdown. Wow. So it has not been a quiet year at all. So this this is just absolutely brilliant. So this is what you were talking about. If we didn't exist or if we changed the world and you met in the middle, you've created new product Mm -hmm. lines and you've launched in another country. Tell me what you now see as CEO, joint CEO. What do you see as the future? Most people know us as a water business. We are now a drinks business. Mm -hmm. And so we will have ranges of drinks for the hospitality industry. So some people are like, well, you know, where can I buy? You can't walk into a Sainsbury's or a Tesco or an Asda and, and buy Baloo. You only get Baloo when you're out and about being served within a hospitality venue, mm-hmm. or you can buy us direct on our website or on Amazon. And there's lots of added value of doing that. And we absolutely back hospitality. So for now, these are products that you'll get through hospitality or from us direct. Mm -hmm. And so in that, we know that you might have more time if you've been given a bottle of of Baloo and you're sitting down for dinner. So we're really harnessing QR capability. And we've got some beautiful QR stories that take you on the journey of Waterway, that take you on the journey of how the glass has been produced, that take you on the journey of the amazing flavors and, and tastes really leveraging tech to communicate and immerse people in an experience being a Morgan experience for me, touching, feeling, giving someone everything they possibly can right to the moment where they walk through the shop door, in this case, finish that bottle. That's all coming to life through the brand and launching internationally in Hong Kong. That was an opportunity that came to us. But because we don't export, because of the carbon impact of exporting, we're launching our filtration business in Hong Kong. We're also scaling in the UK, Mm. but it's a way to get the Baloo brand and story into a new territory, test the appetite for Baloo overseas, and hopefully we'll roll that out globally. 
Oh, exciting. I can't wait to watch what you're going to do with this. This is so amazing. So listen, we're coming towards the end of this podcast. And I, I use the analogy that doing what we do is like being on an epic roller coaster. I can see you with all your now blue bottles all in your cart. <laughs> very hydrated, by the way. Very, very hydrated. Yeah. What would you say has been your biggest low so far throughout your career? <sighs> My biggest low, it's more of a scenario when I've put myself in a scenario of working with people that don't have heart mm. or don't make decisions based on heart because it just clashes with everything and who I am. And I struggle and I feel like I have to make myself small. And because I don't want to make myself small, it just, it's like an emotional turmoil for me. So that's been, and there's probably two times in, in my life, sort of career-wise, where I've, I've done that. That's really interesting. I'm sure lots of people relate to that. And what about your greatest high? What's that been? Oh, gosh, there are, there are so many. Can I have multiple? Yeah. So a very good company, launching that would be one. Also making the decision to step away from it. Um, because that took bravery, joining Baloo, everything, all of the plans that we've got. But Badass Women's Hour that we haven't spoken about, that was a, a massive uh. highlight to have those conversations with with women and multiple voices that didn't always get her time. Living my best life on my terms, like Puff Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice segue that is, because you mentioned he might be in your letter. <laughs> this has just been a wonderful afternoon spent with you. And I just think the company is lucky to have you. you. We're lucky as women to have you as a leader because I love what you're doing. And I can't wait to see what you do because it's I think it's going to, well, who knows? We always want our next thing to be our biggest and best <laughs> thing, but I really think it might be for you. I think this is going to be extraordinary. And thank you so much for sharing so many tips and so many actual things that people can do with what you've said. It's just been extraordinary. Thank, thank you. you. I'm, I, it's that moment in time where I'm going to hand over to you. I've asked you to write a letter to your younger self. I don't know what it's going to say, but um, Natalie, thank you for sharing a little bit of your soul with us today. Thank you. And thanks. Thanks to you. You've been a massive inspiration along this journey too. Oh, well, bless you. Thank you so much. Do you have to get the door? Yes, if we can pause for a second, that's the pups coming back. Let yeah. me just grab them. Oh, right. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Hello. Okay. Are we going to be good boys for a little while? <laughs> oh, look. Yeah, let's, let's give this a whirl. <laughs> Yeah. So, Natalie, I'm going to hand over to you. Your two dogs are back. We've got, who, who have we got here? We've got Buddy and Mr. Dudley, the Russian toy terriers. There they are. It's not just Natalie reading out her letter to younger self. There's two little canines there who are also going to help mummy. Indeed. <laughs> oh, yes, they might. Oh. <laughs> I'm just so funny. I've never done someone reading a letter. And the two dogs are literally sitting about to listen to you talking. <laughs> it's so funny. Let's see how we yeah. get on. Okay. Dear Nat, indomitable, quirky, there must be more Nat. Your spirit is a gift, a treasure, your magic wand. Don't ever lose it, trade it or hide it. Especially for boys never for false friendship and definitely not for a job. 
You'll never quite figure out how to describe how you were raised. A tale of two lives. So many could have beens and so many statistics avoided. It doesn't really matter because for some reason you just know life is a gift and can and will be whatever you want it to be. Hold on to that. Your parents, the source of so much of your badassery, but also the source of so many eye rolls. They did their best. They were kids when they had you. And as much as it would have been nice to have bedtimes, you'll soon realize family is what you create and who you choose to be there at bedtime. Stern, respected, backbone grandmothers, and I'll give you anything granddad is what you had instead. Don't take it for granted. Breathe in those moments Uncle Baba comes home with your favorite combo, Ribena, Monster Munch, and a Solero ice cream. He won't be able to walk to the shops when you're most in need of that care package. You'll upgrade to kettle chips, hummus, and red wine at 30. You also had aunties, badass aunties. Denise takes you dancing, buys you your first car, and gives you a flat in London to live in for eight years. But most importantly, she takes you to see Puff Daddy and Biggie in concert. You don't ever say thank you. Please go and say thank you before you ask her for something else. Karen takes you to stand outside the bad boy offices in New York. Aunt Olive doesn't do the city, but she tells you to always walk with your head held high. Aunt Monica. Aunt Monica, yes? Aunt Monica. Come here. Come here. Don't like Aunt Monica. Okay. <laughs> Aunt Monica. Aunt Monica. Aloof but in charge, Aunt Monica. You are blessed to see black women in charge, in control, and respected. No one disrespects the Campbell woman. Hold on to that and never let it go, especially not for boys. Your friends are your family. The little miss crew, you roll deep and you keep each other grounded. A first dose of sisterhood that makes up for parents not being there at bedtime. They are there at bedtime, and over the years as they start to go, Vix will appear, and Vanessa S, and Sam, and M, and more. They'll all be there at bedtime. They also know you don't like talking in the morning, especially before coffee. They are really great friends because they love talking as soon as their eyes open and you don't, even on holiday. Teachers, your teachers, there will be many. You have a gift of watching people, behaviors, tones, creating patterns, connections, stories, all from watching people. You take every bit of advice and turn it into a fable. Locked in the mind, ready for a moment of application. Miss Timmy, Miss Saunders, Mr. Wahab, both of them. Miss Charles, Miss Raja, Miss Nichols. Great teachers make great adults. I don't think we value them enough, and I don't think they know just how important they are. To you, there is a part of who you are that is locked into what a teacher said. It stops you from doing things, or it made you do things. From teachers to bosses, Marcia Morgan, no longer with us. But you'll model her early days of leadership. Your first business will happen because she inspired the Morgan girl in you. You'll miss her, but heaven called her. Sandra will show you what it means to stand up for your team. She'll take on any bad behavior for you. Elizabeth will give you the freedom to excel, have big dreams, and never make you play small at work. Lorraine, you'll get to work with her one day, but send her those flowers anyway. You'll be blessed to have cheerleaders with you. Your bosses will always let you shine. Rod, Peter, Ian, David, Denny, Laurie. You'll have men in your corner, never in your way. 
You'll take no notice of anyone who puts up a wall. Boys, they'll break your heart, not because you love them, but because you love yourself, and it hurts when they can't see what you have. It's not rejection, though. Please do not internalize it as rejection. They can't reject what they can't see, and they never saw you, all of you and your magnificence. When a man arrives, not a boy, it will be straightforward. He'll see it, you'll know it, and your heart won't ache when you think of what they missed. On the point of missing things, you'll be so busy building a career from the age of 15, like a normal person or not, you'll miss moments to have fun. In Brazil, please do not wear Converse in the rainforest and complain, please soak in the beauty and go dancing that night. You'll tick off a bucket list moment instead of hoping for it even now. Try and stay out a little longer. Go out when your introversion takes over. Traveling alone is about getting lost. You can't get lost if you stay in your hotel room. Please go out and watch the sunset. Always have another cocktail. Your career will be your first love and it's okay. Don't be ashamed or hide your ambition because it's not cool. You're not cool and that's okay. You're determined, committed, unruly. Do not wish to be cool. Cool is so boring. Your ability to keep moving forward gets you into the heart of Whitehall into royal palaces and global media institutions, all without fuss. You work hard, but you will have a glorious life. Respect the hustle and the heart you put in. Don't hide it, don't play small, don't pretend to know less than you do, especially for a Leo. And finally, start running sooner and take up yoga sooner. Don't start drinking coffee because you'll never make it back. And always, Always, always remember, you're not on this journey to save the world. You're here to save yourself. Vital vitalizes. And bedtimes. You'll have yourself at bedtimes and peace and contentment at knowing you did exactly what your heart wanted in true Campbell woman style. Indomitable, quirky. You've got more to come, Nat. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And that's it. What a beautiful letter. Thank you. What a beautiful letter. The way he spoke about bedtime, I just, my heart broke for you and my heart soared for you at the same time. And um, so wonderful to have met you. And I will always think of you with this, don't be small. I think that's what comes out of this. Do not be small. Thank you so much for letting us come away with that. I think us women need to hear more women like you. So, <clears throat> sorry, it's oh. emotional, but thank <laughs> you so much for your time, Natalie. Thank you. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. It's been amazing. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 